Once upon a time, there was no social media, let alone the internet, for all of us to obsess over. We didn't have a platform to dedicate to our individuality, and in return receive so much feedback from strangers as a result. We still live within a culture where people call each other horrible names without a moment's thought, such as epithets for gay people or people with disabilities, and said it was all in jest. Representation in cinema or television was not a major concern. In fact, when performers received accolades and nominations for roles in films for portraying someone totally unlike themselves at their core, gay or with a disability, everyone would pat themselves on the back and just say, good job. Now, many of that was a result of a boomer mentality. Gen X was a swing generation, caught in the middle of having their ideas fostered from grandparents that lived through World War II and parents born out of the ashes of that war and into civil rights in the Vietnam era. A clash of two ideals that wasn't concerned about the minutiae of things like representation. And it was Gen X who took that mantle and started the uphill battle that would eventually become the signal calling card of their children and their grandchildren. Today we are honored to have someone that represents not only herself, but also she represents the future. She is the beacon for her generation, and with hope, she can help spread that on to the future of humankind. Today we are honored to have social media influencer, dancer, actor, and activist, Alex Rubal, on this episode of $5 Buzz. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another edition of $5 Buzz. Today, this is, uh, I don't know what the date is, but it's sometime in October. This is spooky month. October 8th, I think it is right around there, but who knows when this thing drops. So we don't like to say dates, but every once in a while, it's good to have a little demarcation point because that's I'm very, very um, adamant about doing that when I do my posts in my social media world and today we're going to be talking a lot about social media and many other things i'm again this is roger Mayer, uh the uh co-host for this evening and i want to introduce you to mr pete liska as always hello pete how are you hello how are you <laughs> very good and uh over there pete's a new dad so he's a little sleepy maybe just uh you know like what not even nary two weeks old roughly right Oh yeah, she, uh, little uh, Sienna is eight days old as of to, as of the recording of this program. So it's uh, very exciting. Yeah, Louise, that's awesome. Eight day old baby he's got over there, and then uh, our man Nate is filling in for our normal buzzard, uh, Mister George Cursar. Nate Garden, who you all may know as a buzzard, uh, who is uh, on occasionally, but he's also primarily known as our artist uh, who does all of our artwork i like to call him the terry gilliam or the ralph stedman of the five dollar buzz set over here and nate today is um uh, uh coming on board to be a full-on co-host today how you doing nate oh i'm a little intimidated there's big shoes to fill george but uh, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna do my best i don't have the reads to pull me either so i think i can uh, i'm trying to pull it off Roger. <laughs> i think you'll be just fine my brother i mean today i mean thing about nate here before we introduce our uh guest uh nate does do um you know other than being uh an ex-reprobate he is also a, a teacher now uh who teaches uh special ed right is that is that correct that's correct 19 20, this year 20 roger 20 years yeah. 20 yeah. years wow. 20 years in the field so, so all of this brings us to our guest tonight who is 
I think in the future going to become a near household name, if not a full blown household name. Um, I, I think somebody definitely on the indie circuit, but I think there's big things in the works for this young woman and her name is Alex Rui ball. Is that correct? Is it, I say Rui ball. Correct. So we all get it yeah. right. In the future. Yeah. I knew that. I just, uh, you know, I've even seen Vito spell it R U B I A L. So it's, it's, it's all good. Everybody does that. Alex, how you doing tonight? I'm doing really well. I I'm, you know, enjoying my time, you know, enjoying the, a little bit of time, just, getting soaking in being back in california after a great shoot in florida so that's right so just to give you a little introduction you are 23 years of age i actually turned 24 in august that's right you did turn 24 yeah. just turned 24 in august before we shot so 24 is your 24 years old um she mm -hmm. plays an 18 year old in the motion picture that we uh just wrapped up out there in uh, central florida and the Probably the worst place on earth, in my opinion, but it doesn't matter. We'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, she also is a TikTok star, burgeoning star, with how many different followers now do you have on TikTok? I think right now I'm at 431,000. Just, yeah, just right around 431,000. That's right. And it keeps growing. And I've seen quite a bit of that. And she's also somebody who wants to pursue dance or does do dance or professional mm -hmm. dance and as uh had quite a bit to say while making the film about what her costume should look like and you know the style of dancing you remember all that the the, the controversy there between you and the wardrobe person well yeah i so the whole thing was that it first so typically i wouldn't say anything about a costume if it were a you know it's it's not my place at all if it were, if there were somebody who had a lot of knowledge in dance, um, telling me what to wear, or if it was a group piece, um, or if the dance was choreographed for the costume that, it, like, for the costume that was given, um, I wouldn't, and I actually really, I wasn't going to say anything at first, and then I, I really thought about it and I said, you know, this is going to be a solo that this will be most likely my most widely seen piece of work. And it's go in terms of dance, it's going to just be me. I can't hide behind anybody else. And it's a hip hop piece. Yeah. Um, and so I lightly, I, I, as kindly as I possibly could, I, I brought it up, um, and said, I don't know if I, if, you know, if in aerobics outfit, cause that's really what it was. It was like trying to be like more of like an 80s style aerobics outfit with tight leggings and leg warmers. And it was a really cool outfit. It was just, it was a great outfit. And then when, when Gregory told me that we were doing the dance on a black backdrop, they were black leggings and a very dark shirt. It would have gotten lost. Um, now, so, your, instinct, your instinct was correct. Your, your tone yeah. Was, so it, I just said, you know, maybe we should go shopping for some different options. And I said, if at the end of the day, all the options aren't great and what you want me to wear at the end with that, with the original outfit is what you want me to wear. I will wear it and I will dance my best and I will make it look good. 
I, I, I don't want to give too much away what the director was thinking. Let's wait for the movie to come out because I know that if he listens to this podcast, he might, he might put a flamethrower through me. So, but I do know that he had a different vision than what actually ended up on screen, but I think he loved it and preferred it in the end with what your mm-hmm. choice was. I can't give away though, that your costume was the most fucking expensive out of all the ones that we chosen. <laughs> <laughs> I am so sorry. I got shit for Good that. Good job. <laughs> so, <laughs> one thing I want to bring up about Miss Alex Rui Ball out there in San Diego, California. Um, you know, she talks about it a lot on her social media. She has autism, so we said we'll just say is autistic, and she. Uh, is an activist for autism, right? I mean, it can, we can yeah. say that very casually here. And that you, you are somebody that, um, you know, is trying to put a face to something. I mean, why don't you go ahead and describe what it is that you do through your TikTok, through your social media, through all of the various uh, um, playing fields that you, that you, you know, make yourself aware to other people? It's actually really interesting you bring that up because I really wasn't sure how everything would pan out with social media. I think, and I still really don't and where it's going, but uh, it started out really as a way of me being able to accept myself. I think a lot of my life, I always felt like because I was in environments with so many non-autistic people, because I didn't always understand everything the same way everybody else did. And because I just had a different, I don't know if walk of life is the best way to say it, Um, but I just had a different, you know, approach to things Um, and how I grew up and the way and, you know, growing up in a lot of therapy, really, you know, between that and being around a lot of non-autistic people, definitely made it hard for me to be accepting of myself. And because of that, I dealt with a lot of mental health issues. And when COVID happened, I really wanted to focus on that. So I turned to TikTok and eventually I made a video about my autism and it was a really it's like an eight second video um and it blew up a lot of nice things to say a lot of some people didn't have a lot of nice things to say about it um but i noticed that people were wanting more wanting me to talk about it more wanting me to talk about my experiences um people were you know saying things like i gave them hope for their kids or that I inspired a lot of autistic people who didn't want to talk about it to, you know, start talking about it and start addressing it. And people were saying, I didn't know how much my disabilities, you know, impacted me not accepting them, impacted my mental health. And I would get DMs of like stories and stories. So I made more and more of them. And the more videos I made, the more of that I would receive. But I think the biggest thing was it was, me accepting myself and accepting a lot of things that happened to me as a kid growing up being autistic and especially as a nonverbal autistic child who eventually 
learned to talk and then went to public school and, you know, went to college. Alexa, what age um, did, did you start communicating, the ver verbal communication? Mm-hmm. No, what, what, uh, what age? When did I start? I started with verbal communication when I was about five years old. Okay, so so your parents, you're missing milestones, and your your parents got a diagnosis from your pediatrician before you were in school. I was in preschool, um, and my parents noticed the lack of eye contact. I wouldn't turn when people called my name. I didn't know my name, mm -hmm. um, and I wasn't talking. So I was about two and a half years old. And between two and a half and three was kind of when I got my diagnosis. Yeah, and well. I actually got diagnosed twice. So they had a team at my school um, diagnose me. And then they actually had a private team diagnose me as well, just to make sure. Um, so when people give me a hard time on the internet, <laughs> because they don't believe that I'm autistic most of the time, I act. I can say I don't just have one diagnosis. Yeah. I have two. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm on one of those teams. <laughs> I, I give the academic assessments for those um, qualifying. It's called a qualifying disability for special education services, and autism is one yeah. of the qualifying disabilities. So were you, were you on an IEP all through school? Yes, I had an IEP. Um, my accommodations, definitely. I had less and less accommodations, of course, as I grew up. Um, I didn't need certain accommodations when I was in college. I, my main accommodation in college was extended time on exams like was fun. really the main one. And then because I was a dance major, I really didn't need too many academic accommodations just because the dance program and the arts programs are just usually so different from the rest of the university. So I got to clear for the audience. We're speaking Greek to Roger and Pete here in the audience. And IEP is yeah. an individualized education plan. And it's uh, kids that qualify for special education services have, um, they have to meet that through a, a, a diagnosis of a learning disability. There's speech and language, there's hearing impairment, there's occupational therapy, there's other health impairment, there's autism. And that's how they make special modifications and accommodations, like preferred seating, um, text to speech. There's all kinds of different things that uh, typical kids going through school aren't permitted. Um, so they can access their education. So there's just kind of ways to level the playing field and, and bridge, the, bridge the achievement gap for kids with, uh, with disabilities. And yeah. us, us as boomers growing up, I remember <clears throat> that's something we wouldn't have really noticed back then. I mean, outside, I mean, we had probably mean things to say and, and, and undiagnosed, you know, no, everybody went through and probably felt they just didn't have, you know, somebody, somebody who was more like Alex, less like you know somebody who was uh some of the depictions and we're going to get in that representation in cinema and stuff mm -hmm. in a bit but you know it's how what year what years does autism really start to become a focus in the united states in the education system where they start to laser in on that being a disability early 2000s is when they started it became like the disability du jour there were all these like events and stuff no one knew what autism was until like rain man came along like a lot of these kids there's been a shift in diagnosis they used to say they would say one in a thousand births were autism births now it's one in 47 boys and one in 92 girls are, are autism births because there's been a, sh a shift in diagnosis things we weren't calling autism in the 60s and 70s and 80s we're now calling autism because right. it's, it's spectrum disorder but um <laughs> 
So Alex, so, you know, it's one of the things that you and I would talk about and discuss when I would drive you back to the hotel, you know, after mm -hmm. a day of shooting and whatever. Uh, we'll get into the movie in a little bit too, but I just want to say that one of the things that I noticed and, and, and talking to other, seeing, listening to you talk to like Lyra Juno, you know, the makeup artist and so forth. Mm -hmm. I remember that you would have, sometimes you would focus a lot. In, I know you, the majority of the people were giving you positivity, but you mm -hmm. tended, I mean, you, you, you told me a lot of stories that were a lot darker than that about a lot yeah. of stuff that you would receive online as well as uh, you know, how you grew up and stuff. Now, I don't want you to share everything and I don't need you to become vulnerable for our podcast. I just, <laughs> I just would like to hear about, you know, but you were pretty freely, openly talking about um, some of the negativity that was being sent your way. And why don't you give anybody who might be listening some way to combat that and, and an example of what that kind of negativity looked like? Yeah. So um, with us, I, try as much as I can to really only to truly listen unless it's unless it's critical I, I like to think of positive positive like you know what you could comments from supporters or people just in general leaving positive comments on things and then there are, there's actual criticism of maybe something I'm saying something that they might not agree with those are valid things for me to listen to and then there's just negative troll energy that I receive a lot of. Um, so I guess the best example recently was somebody took, it was honestly one of my most wholesome videos. Um, my. So you recognize somebody, that some of your videos are not quite entirely wholesome, don't you? <laughs> um, I think that most videos, I think I'm one of the most, I will, as much as I am probably not correct in saying this, I genuinely think that I am one of the more wholesome creators on the app. Right. Um, I but, think I see, but I see you trying to, to emulate some of the other uh, people. Every on now and program. again, you yeah. know, I'm also 24 and I'm not, I'm not a child. Give it back um, to me. And I shouldn't have to act like a child. Um, I shouldn't have to act like a child. I'm 24. I can talk about certain things. I, you know, I can do certain things. And, um, but I do like to think that I, I'm not overly provocative on the internet. Um, as, but every now and again, I can have a moment, but I think this was definitely a very wholesome, something very special to me. Um, it was a video of me stimming with, um, my significant other and he, you know, it showing my significant other who, you know, is not autistic. And, you know, I was having a rough day. Um, and, you know, I was stimming and he tried to join in. And, you know, a lot of moments like that, I try and get on video because I, I like having them just even for myself. I don't always, I don't typically put most videos like that on the internet, but when I cut some of the moments together and I put music behind it, it was, it, it was a really beautiful moment. And I thought it was something important to share. Um, somebody, as much as it can get in the right hands, it can also get in the wrong hands. And yeah. somebody shared it on to a different social media platform. Um, 
Yeah, shared it onto a different platform and then a platform that's known for bullying. Uh, I'm not going to share the platform just because I don't want, you know. Don't give it any, don't give it any uh, media oh, attention. I don't want to give it, attention. I don't want to give it extra attention. Fuck but those people guys. were saying really, really negative things about it, saying, discrediting my disability, saying that I'm disgusting, that I only use things for clout, um, which is the furthest thing from the truth. I think, you know, if people saw some of the, I've gotten death threats in my, in my direct messages, I, the, the, the things I receive sometimes, it's not, there's no amount of followers that's really worth getting that kind of hate for that long, like for that long of a period of time. It's, it's not, you know, if somebody was looking for attention, there's a lot of different ways that you could do that. And I just, you know. Yeah, no, I, I understand. It, it, I've seen, yeah, you see major celebrities who have got, you know, millions upon millions upon millions of followers who, you know, they let the few that get through, they, they crack, you know, and they just mm-hmm. jump up. You know, every if you follow your social media too much, I mean, that's a bigger issue we can talk about and for a yeah. whole other subject, I mean, uh, episode about the uh, the pros and cons, mostly cons of social media is yeah. that, um, you know, it's overwhelming and it's it, it takes up all of your time, awareness. Your you it makes it's like a, it's like a big, but yeah. I mean, you see it every day, Nate, more than any of us. You know, on on at school where you teach, where kids. Do you allow kids to have their phones in school? What what's the what's going uh, on there? They they can earn, it's a it's a privilege. I make it part of their uh, their token economy. They they can earn access to their phones in the afternoon. But the fact that they even have to have access to their phone is crazy. I try explaining that to them. Like, you realize I was, I lived 26 whole years before, uh, you know, the advent of a, of a telephone. I tell them that like, my girlfriend called, I had to take it in the kitchen on the dial in front of the whole family, you know, <laughs> the rotary phone. And uh, the, the idea of, 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 of a conversation like that in front of your whole family in a kitchen is just, uh, they, they can't imagine that. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, so Alex, why don't we, um, you know, just before we hit the break, why don't we discuss a little bit about our time together and how we got to meet? Uh, yeah. I got uh, this this whole thing. There's a movie that we shot called Hellbent on Boogie in um, Central Florida, written and directed by Vito Truppiani. Truppiano, excuse me. I like to say true piano instead of a fake piano. He's a true piano. Um, and he, but uh, it was Gregory Thomas who called me and asked me if I, you know, for help, advice, and ended up making the movie because I had an epiphany in the shower that I should, I was going to not do this. I was not going to do this movie because it was a low budget film. It was going to be a difficult film. And I just said, no, I'm not going to do it. I didn't know you, I didn't know you from Adam. Mm-hmm. And then next thing I know, something in the back of my head scratched me in the back of my head and just says, you got to make this movie. You've got to do this movie. It, it wouldn't let me say no. It would. I, and then while I was driving and I've never had these epiphanies when I'm making a movie, I'm too punk rock for epiphanies, but occasionally it, you know, that gut feeling that, but this thing was knocking inside my head. I can't, I, I can't explain it. And a lot of that it became clear the minute I met you. It was like, it's, it's, it's a fact. The minute I met you and saw your performance on that first day that we shot, I, I was like, 
holy shit, Vito, because Vito was, I mean, he looked for five, six years for somebody like you. That I mean, he waited forever to find the right person. And, you. you know, I, you know, our experience down there was, uh, you know, it, it was quite extraordinary. A lot of rain, a lot of lightning, a lot of mosquitoes. Uh, you didn't get bit up nearly as bad as I did. It's because yeah, I'm a fat, sweaty bastard. And you're, you know, 24. So I, I don't know. I just, all, yeah. these kids, all the kids were, you know, it was me. And I noticed a couple of other of us just kept getting bit like crazy. Those of us from California. Well, you're from California, but I don't know what it is. You, you seem to uh, be above all that. But I don't know about that. I don't know about that. I just, I, I had, I had bug, I had a lot of bug bites, but I'm going to be honest. I had someone sent me uh, this little suction tool that like sucks the venom out of your bug bites and it saved me on set. That's okay. So that's stopped weird. them from itching. So they went away in like 24 hours. So it didn't look <laughs> like I had bug bites. Well, and then, so to, why don't you tell us really quick your experience of making the film for you from your vantage point? I know what it was like, you know, from somebody who's done this for a long, long period of time. And I can go endlessly about, you know, how making films, but this was your first film. Mm-hmm. ever and why don't you just give us a little example or a little taste of what some of your experiences were while making the movie well it was definitely the experience of a lifetime and I'm not just saying that because you're here and I'm not just saying that like for any other reason then I can genuinely just say that making Hellbent was the experience of a lifetime I got to work with some incredible people and I just I had always talked about the way that autism was represented in media um, and knowing that I got to even no matter where this film goes, even had to got to have the experience where I got to, you know, my first film when I didn't even know that film was an option for me. To be completely honest, I had uh, never really thought of like film acting as part of as a career um, until until any of this. And the first role I get is honestly a role that's so that was so well that I really connected with. Um, you did a lot of research on that movie. I did. No, no, he did. I mean, Vito. He did. And I, he did a lot oh, yeah, of writing no. that role. He he doesn't have anybody mm-hmm. in his fit, but he 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 was for some reason, for no personal reason other than wanting to make the film about a person with autism, that 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 he wrote that and did all the research to write that character. It's very he he wrote it so well too. He wrote he wrote Quinn so well, um, and I said it. I was, I, I, you know, I did my, I, I tried, you know, to put my own little, to give, you know, the film my own version of what's in the script, but what he wrote was, you know, not typically what you see on screen when, when we talk about autistic characters in film and in TV, and it was, 
definitely I, I, I felt it when I first read the script, um, I really appreciated how Quinn was portrayed. Right. Absolutely. Um, what's, right. the, what's the film about? Right. Tell us about the film a little bit. What, what is it? Yeah, what's, it, what's the film about from your... I mean, I can give you my producer pitch real quick, and maybe I'll do that, but I want to hear how you say it. Land, let's, let's, let's hear your pitch, Alex. It's about... Well, it's a family drama, of course, but it's really about how... That's really interesting. I feel like it's about. It's funny that you're having trouble. Okay. It's about this tornado that kind of comes in to a family that has kind of been in the same habits for a very, and when I talk about a tornado, I'm, I'm not talking about a little tornado. I'm talking about a person. I'm talking about somebody in the family coming in and turning the everyday life that this family has been living for a very long time upside down. Um, And I think that's the best way to put it and questioning everybody's values, questioning everybody's, you know, intentions. Um, This tornado, when this tornado comes in, it really puts people's values and people's actions in question. And that tornado is in the guise of Shiloh Fernandez playing your yes. brother, Alan. It's uh, mm-hmm. to do the elevator pitch. It's the family drama about a young autistic female by the name of uh, Quinn, who just wants to be a professional dancer who lives with her domineering mother. Alan, her wayward brother, comes home and disrupts their lives. As you eloquently put it, a tornado comes in and just sort of creates havoc. And it's a battle for your soul, your character's soul, between what is your dream of what's going to happen and the reality. So it's got a little bit of a little bit of Florida project, maybe a little bit of a little bit of sunshine without being too overtly humorous. It's got, you know, it's it's got all these wonderful elements to it. Uh, that includes a location that helps because it doesn't look like Los Angeles. It does not look like New York. It does not even look like, you know, it looks like central fucking Florida. So it, it's, it's a story about, you know, it's, it's great. I mean, sounds like a, it's a, a needed story for the canon. I, I wanted to ask you, Alex, how you felt about these, these are old films to you, but like our idea as an advocate of, you know, exceptional learners, I get pissed off about shit like Rain Man and I Am Sam and that being the broad brush, the idea of, you know, exceptional learner and autism. Like, there is far more, I mean, there, there are people like, you know, Dustin Hoppin's character, but there are few and far between. Like, my experience with, with learners with autism is, um, I mean, nowhere near that, you know, that, that's, it's, Alex, when I was um, reading the, the emails going back and forth, I was I had not met you. I know nothing of you or anything. Just what uh, was in the Rogers um, research file. Um, I was curious that you made this film. It's a welcome addition to the disability canon or whatever you want to call it. Um, of, uh, there aren't a lot of films like that. You got like I am. You probably not even, have you ever seen these movies, Rain Man and I am. Sam? Yes. Like, yes. A kid. These are <laughs> these are. These are, these are old films. Did, did mm-hmm. it, does it bother you? 
I mean, it bothers me as an advocate and teacher of, you know, exceptional earners, but this is kind of the, it's like, it's like a whitewash, broad brush. It's. Yeah. I think um, things that, so I always had a hard time with film. I think it's always, it's a, it's always a really sensitive subject because I don't like to you know, talk badly about the actors who play these characters, um, or even honestly, sometimes the direction of it, or not all, it's because it's, I think sometimes it's just how society hasn't gotten to certain places, in, wasn't, in a, wasn't in certain places, like, progressively yeah well i, I see um, the men in this room like yeah. there's no mainstreaming going on when, when we were in school the kid, kids that were you know they, they were either institutionalized or they were you know in a basement moved in a pod around the school i think today's school does a lot better job of um integrating kids and um yeah. our idea of autism was, was rain man you didn't we were never yeah. encountered anyone with autism because of the shift in diagnosis and like a high functioning kids like you wouldn't have been uh, uh, um, yeah. identified back then. And mm -hmm. uh, our idea of autism is Rain Man. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I a, think. A film we watch. I think the ideas of autism and they really haven't gotten in terms of media, which is why I was so intrigued by Vito's script, is because, and it's it's like I said. I don't, I think a lot of times it's because certain things come from textbooks or scientific research and not looking as much into listening. I think a lot of times people don't, when, and I don't know the process of developing these characters, but it really sounds like Vito, when he created Quinn, really listened to a lot of autistic voices because it was little nuances in Quinn that you know, made her so different from honestly a lot of other characters you see. I think the two most popular types of characters, you get the Rain Men of media, and then you get like the Dr. Sean Murphy's of the media, like the good doctor. Yeah, yeah. And so you, with that is Sam from Atypical, Sheldon Cooper, um, all of those characters. And then you have the Rain Men or um, a lot, of, and, and it's not, a, you know, as much as I personally would love to see like more representation from autistic people, um, I've always felt they should at least be part of the process. I think that um, their, you know, autistic voices should be telling the stories um, or at least that, um, at least that, um, you know, if you're going to be profiting off of this disability, that they should be included to at least a certain capacity. Um, even as a consultant, most, you mean, or as like, if so, if so say like at the very so, least. So, I mean, you got the caliber of Dustin Hoffman playing Rain Man and he wins an Academy Award for it. And I'm not so sure they really, I mean, I'm sure that they had somebody that 
you know, in a movie of that size, I'm sure he went and hung around. Yeah, yeah he did. Like, he yeah, I'm, I'm sure he did. Yeah. I wouldn't, I would imagine, he, you know, some of that kind of performance. But I, you know, it, it was at time, you know, it, it's, it's not quite the same as being in blackface, but there is a little element to it, right? Yeah, like, and to use the big name, but, you know, to use the big name and to have that level of performance but profiting off of honestly and revolving an entire movie around a disability that no one on that set had. You also, you had a problem with Leo DiCaprio for Gilbert Grape. We, we talked about I, you, you and I had a yeah. conversation about this in the car. Yeah. You pointed yeah, out. I don't, know. And I, I don't know. I don't know if I, like I said, it's nothing against the actors themselves. The portrayal. Um, I think it's it's about sometimes it's about the portrayal. I think it's also about how it's misinformed. Pe- I think my biggest issue of it is how it's misinformed people to believe that autism only really has two faces. Right. Okay. And then and then when people try and talk about it, and then because people try. And when people talk about life experience with autism, when I talk about things, because all people know are two are two very extreme stereotypes, um, people are it become it becomes people get a lot more reluctant to listen to me or well, to voices like me. I, I think I think that is changing though with all the inclusive practices that go on in school. Yeah. Like you, 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 mm-hmm. when you were in school, were, were you just on an IEP and you had some learning goals? You weren't in an SDC, like a special, special day class. You were in, you matriculated with your grade level peers. How, what was your school like? Um, so when I was little, my schooling was very different from when I was, you know, middle school, high school. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was little, because I was nonverbal and because, you know, and a lot of people tend to use functioning labels, but I like to say I was very high support as a kid. I needed a lot of support. I was in therapy about 30 hours a week. Um, They, when they diagnosed me, they most, they said I would most likely, you know, never be able to live on my own or never have a career of my choice. That was a very big reality to a lot of the people who diagnosed me at the time. And um, of course that changed a lot. But um, I did have to do a lot of therapy, so I did that. And I was in preschool, and then I also had um, element. And then elementary school was when I really started transitioning out of that thirty hours a week of therapy and more into, um, you know, just going to school and having to do my homework at school. But when you went to school, you were in a general education classroom with an assistant or an environmental aid, or you were. Um. Yes. So I did, yeah, I never had to go to a specific, like, designated school. You were in a special for, okay. But, but I, did have ju- I did have special education classes, like th- speech therapy classes. I did yeah. have certain classes where I was Services. in public school in separate classes. Yeah. Um, but I never had to go to a designated school. Yeah. That, that's which, the, 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 well, they don't really exist anymore. They, they, Mm-hmm. Not public schools for behavior cases, but we treat all of that. And in, in, but that's what that's the point I'm making. Yeah, your your generation's idea of autism or these kids that matriculate in and out and, and mainstream in the class 
our idea of autism because there was such a there was no chip in diagnosis and our whole idea of autism was on the screen it was rain man yeah we weren't it was around, yeah we weren't around there weren't autistic kids mainstreaming and integrating in our in, in, our, in our classroom yeah Which actually, now there are, and there's more uh, there's more tolerance and you, your generation is growing up with a lot more tolerance and empathy than uh oh yeah gen had. z is becoming is so tolerant of you know a lot of things that um you know and it, it's very progressive and it you know it's showing some really positive I tell, you know, tell parents that when, when parents are concerned about kids with disabilities mainstreaming into a gen ed classroom, I'm like, your typical learners are getting far more from those kids than anything they're going to get from hanging out with the, the gen ed kids and just, you know, osmotically hanging out. Uh, Pete, you had a question there? I, I just <laughs> never heard much from you. That's okay. Uh, this is, I mean, Alex, fascinating and fascinating questions, Nate. Uh, absolutely. Just since we're, since we're back on the topic of education, actually, I just did have one question from earlier. Um, does does the regulations um, vary from state to state, or is it a federal kind of guideline as to how we educate our our children with autism? Now, maybe one of you guys can speak to that. Um, as far as I know, it's I don't I I'm not sure about state if it's state or if it's federal. But I do know that um, a lot of schooling, it's usually mixed into public schools, like special education programs are typically, or public, private, it's typically mixed into general education schools. Um, and typically the programs for special education vary between school to school, I think, um, is mainly what I've known about it. Um, I, I only ask because I've heard, I've just heard over time that, you know, like in some situations, parents would even move out of a state because it had a subpar, maybe uh, standard for, for the, for educating our children. Nate, do you know a little bit about that? There's federal funding. There's the common core and every, every state has to provide the same curriculum framework. The problem is in some states, where, you know, if you go, I won't, I won't name a state, but we know where the low performing states are. The quality of instruction isn't as good as it might be in a place like a Connecticut or a California or a New York or a more progressive state where educators are compensated better and, you know, need to pursue a master's degree and, and be a little more uh, qualified. Well, I mean, I that's all, it, yeah, I'm sorry, yeah. Alex, go ahead. It's all good. Um, I know when I was younger, there really actually weren't, and this might just be about ethics, but I know a lot about um, the fact that, at least when I was younger, there really weren't a lot of rules as to what you could and couldn't do in a classroom for special education. I think there, there are more rules now, but it was really interesting because you could be um, you could be in a gen ed, uh, like a gen ed school, like a public school, and the, there weren't a lot of rules or specified or in, maybe not rules, but enforced rules um, for special education. I think that's changed a little bit now, but it's, I've, I know because I hear things from like parents and they are, um, it's always super interesting to talk 
talk to certain voices about this because one someone was like I can't trust you know saying that they can't trust their child alone with a teacher um can't trust their child they have a hard some parents have a hard time you know trusting schools with their child um and a lot of it being due to um you know the fact that the that laws and you know enforced rules being like evolving in schools at least that's what i know uh nate you could probably <laughs> correct well, me if i'm wrong well, on anything you know, depending on the, the disability a lot of kids that like would require assisted living situations later on mm -hmm. kids that are yeah. you know the non-ambulatory kids kids that aren't feeding tubes stuff kids that are you know really impacted kids really impacted kids the state to state i know that long-term care definitely uh varies and i think well that, that's it also speaks to it also speaks to how important your activism and playing an honest role um as such in a film will be to make uh to maybe make these standards a little better in states that don't get them as you mentioned nate or you know it, uh, the the privileged uh groups on the coasts or however it works out you know maybe maybe uh alex you know it's great that your work like i'm saying through this role and right. your your other activism will help with all of that so thank you for that yeah. thank you no i i i really i appreciate it i uh I really look to, you know, be, I, I, I am extremely excited about, about my role. I also am open, you know, I also know that with taking this role, I'm going to be putting myself very open to a lot of criticism, um, from community and, you know, I'm all, and I'm fully ready for that as well. So yeah, well, we, uh, what, do you mean? what kind of criticism are you talking about, girl? Come um, on. <laughs> I'm saying, uh, I think especially when we're talking about um, autistic roles, I think it's especially because, and I'm talking about a lot of the community that I see online, especially on TikTok, gets um, very, is, is very sensitive and right. rightfully so um, about a lot of the, you know, whenever you see autistic characters in film, um, or in television, I know that seeing that there's going to be representation on the screen. Um, but but, is, but, but your, your role in the way that Vito treats it is not, there's no didactic element to it. It's, it's, not, yeah. it's not taking a hammer and hitting you over the head with it. Your character and just, that's what I enjoy about it too is like yeah. you know it, it the whole film doesn't revolve around it, which is really which was also something I really appreciated as well. It's not a um, message movie by any stretch of the imagination. Alex, yeah. I've, got, I've, I've got a question now. So you, you, you release this TikTok video. It goes viral. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, you have these followers overnight. How did it happen? What? Um, so How can TikTok, we do it? <laughs> just TikTok is so interesting because the, you're like, it's the really the only platform that is so organic in, with the algorithm of it is so organic that you could have zero videos, you could have zero videos, zero followers, new account, post a video, and it can go viral. My curiosity is this, you just made a video, you're a kid that's grown up, you, you've got autism, you have the, the social barriers, 
you that's always been a, a difficult tap dance for you. Yeah. All of a sudden you're getting inundated with these DMs and this all of a sudden this like popularity for, for, for lack of a are you compelled? Like is there a compulsion to answer? Was there is there was there a time when you just started answering DMs and just responding to all I mean, you could, you could get, you could probably open your, your mailbox right now and there'd be thousands of them, right? Like, is that how it works? Yeah. I, I tend to, I think when I first started, I, I've never cried and I will be, I will not, I've never cried period, but I will say this with pride. I have never cried from hate I receive on the internet. I never have, um, even cause I woke up one morning and my video was like performing the video. My first video that really blew up had maybe about hundred thousand views, couple hundred thousand views when I went to bed and then I woke up and it had almost 2 million views and it had a lot of comments. A lot of them not nice. Do you read all um, the comments? That, that, that's my, is there I part of I started that... scrolling through that, that first yeah. morning and I, you know, I had already gotten bullied a lot of my life. <laughs> so when somebody doesn't have the audacity to say it to my face, there's already this, um, it already <laughs> seemed rather Wait. invalid to me. And I, you know, a lot of times bullying comes from the, it's not me, it's a lot of times them. So I, you know, I don't really make anything like that too personal. And I just kind of got up and I kept going about my day and I kept making videos. No, I, Good I, for you, Alex. Wait, you're you're wait, way ahead of the game. Troll, trolling aside, I'm just curious if you were like, you engage with, with, with people, like as someone that had like social barriers and, and, and difficulty um, navigating those uh, mm -hmm. relationships. When all of a sudden you're like a, a, a TikTok product. Are you? What's what's that like for you? Um. What do you mean? Like that's gotta be. I mean, that'd be mind blowing. <laughs> like, yeah. It's yeah. I think, especially handling social media as somebody who is, um. You know, not really already not great with social cues and already at a disadvantage socially it definitely is it is a lot more effort and it's a lot of work um and it is definitely territory I still don't uh, to a lot of in a lot of ways don't don't understand a lot of times I go in my live I live stream a lot and people will feel upset that I'm ignoring them in the comments. But a lot of times I get so overloaded by the amount of, you know, comments that are there and I'm always so grateful for it. And I say it every single time I say, I'm so grateful for the amount of people who want to engage with me and want to comment. Um, and I totally encourage it and, and keep commenting. I just know that at the end of the day, as much as you may not see it, I am still autistic at the end of the day. And, and that this is a lot for me, no matter how much I live stream. And 
sometimes I can get a little bit of this overload and it's um, so sometimes I just answer I answer one comment at a time sometimes I'll get like 20 comments at once and I will have to just pick one question and answer it as thoroughly as I can and then move on to the next one and probably already at that point two or three hundred questions have already gone by. Okay, yeah, that's that, that, that what I was wondering. If you had a compulsion to interact with all these people, given that, you know, there well, was... I do. I just, a lot of the time, I don't know how to get to them all. And I always feel super guilty about it. Um, and I'm not always the best with um, knowing how to engage sometimes. Um, and 24 seven, because a lot of the time, you know, your, your social media accounts, you know, they don't go to bed with you. Yeah. yeah. You're, you're famous. So, yeah. I, mean, I just wanted to point out though, <clears throat> she, she did this shit to me all the time on set where she would take a phrase and you, and, and, and she has a poetic way of speaking. And it's just right now she says, this so-and-so person does not have the audacity to to confront me directly. I mean, it's an absolute perfect way to say that, but you never hear it put that way. Alex is always turning a phrase, and I, I kept writing them down somewhere. I wish I could, wish it had them in front of me now, but she would always say something like that, and it would just like, holy shit, you should be a poet. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, you have a you have a way of uh, saying things. And I also wanted to point out, I don't think we mentioned what school you went to. You went to Rutgers, right? Yes. I got... Um, I graduated cum laude uh, with a BFA in dance from Rutgers University. Congratulations. That was Thank you. Thanks there. You know, um, so I think we're getting close to that time, Alex. I think we breezed right through this whole, this whole day. Uh, yeah. This episode. And I want to, you know, again, say thank you for coming on board. I know that, um, you and I've got a lot more work to do um, yeah. as this thing starts to evolve and shape. I, I think we're going to be looking at it coming out sometime in uh, 2023, probably take a year. Mm-hmm. Low budget films have a tendency to take a little while when you're editing and doing color and sound and composing. And it's uh, can't wait for people to see the, uh, the dance sequence, uh, which will, I, I cannot tell you, just watching it being shot gave me goosebumps. And I thank and I, you. I, I believe uh, it was Marissa, the um, uh, costume designer. She 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 cried. That there was there were people who I would turn around, you know, I'd come in because I wasn't always behind the camera, and they I'd see people fucking crying, and it wasn't even that important of a scene. Sometimes it was just you know those scenes in the bedroom. Uh, with you and Shiloh when you're having your brother sister talk in in mm-hmm. those scenes, um, and with Kenzen uh, Takahashi's cinematography, uh, the movie, yeah, I'm just it's I think it's going to be something special. Boys, is there anything you want to say before we oh, wrap? Up? Alex, Alex, real quick, uh, how you how, when did you start dancing? You've been dancing your whole life. I actually musical theater was a form of therapy for me. One of oh. my autism therapies was actually I had. Like I had a lot, my parents literally said, we are trying everything under the sun (laughs) and put me in every single form of therapy. One of them being musical theater. And I, you know, maybe specifically dance. They always thought I had, they always thought I had quote unquote two left feet. 
Um, <laughs> and they never really pushed dance for me. I always kind of did it as a hobby, as therapy. And then say about 14 or 15, I kind of had this epiphany of I want to be a professional dancer, even though I had nowhere near the training I needed. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I, I'd say about 14 was kind of when I really stepped into my own as a dancer and really pushed for that. Excellent. Well, um, you know, congratulations on the role and, and keep doing Thank what you're you. doing. I think, uh, I think it's important work and we can look back on the uh, irresponsibility of, the, of our past in filmmaking, maybe with uh, this responsible. I don't want to say uh, it like that. Well, I, I, no, I you know, it's, it, it, it's only, I, I think it might be irresponsible in the sense that as Nate had pointed out and you both pointed out that it left mm -hmm. a large portion of the country that watched it or people in the world that watched these with a, with maybe the wrong impression. You know, and that's where I feel like maybe the irresponsibility yeah. is, but maybe not, you know, maybe it wasn't, but. Yeah, I think, you know, yeah. it's, I think I don't want to, I don't want to point fingers because we no. don't, I don't know where any of this comes from, right? I don't know where any of the development of any of these characters comes from. I definitely, I think, you know, for whatever character was written, the actors did an incredible job mm -hmm. portraying probably what was on that script and putting it on film. So I really don't want to talk down on anybody, but I will say that, you know, there was this huge, there, there's this huge gap missing, there's this huge gap missing. And, you know, I'm excited for a day where that gap can be filled with all different sorts of, you know, faces with aut about autism and, and including autistic voices in that process. Well put. That's that's a that's a great mm -hmm. way to that's a great way to look at it. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. There could be five hundred films on autism, and it, it, it's such It'd a not be broad enough. spectrum. That's like, a great the more point I, too. the more I work with these kids, the more I peer reviewed research I read, the more I learn. It's, like I'm convinced everyone is on the spectrum. Everyone in the world falls somewhere on that spectrum, whether it's at a clinical level or not. That's another thing. But there 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 are components of every person that uh. Uh, the little pieces of, uh, you know, compulsions, um, being um, routines. Um, th there's all. I think all, everybody can relate to. I think because what I've learned about autism is actually so I because I do a lot of research on this because I make sure to like you know if I'm giving informational videos out that you know that what I'm saying is like fully 100 percent. I actually learned because I always used to think that like the spectrum was incredibly like linear. Sorry, um, that the spectrum was very linear in that however far away you drifted from that line was how autistic you were, quote unquote. Yeah. But actually what I learned, fun fact, is that the is that brains, like the human brain, actually there's two different neurotypes. So there's like neurotypical, which is you know, um, there is neurotypical people which is kind of the standard quote-unquote and then you have the neurodivergent which actually is its own separate neurotype it's it, think of it like i like to think of it like apple software versus windows software yeah um literally interesting two, two human brains that run on different softwares um some are not capable of certain things some are and, and some just work differently and you know um but autistic people but I definitely do agree. Like everybody relates to certain qualities in autistic people a lot, which is why I 
it, which is why so many people connect with autism films. Um, and I definitely support that aspect. I definitely support that. But I think, you know, it's, I, uh, I am excited for a day where autistic voices are included. Because I think, um, but yeah, no, it's, uh, I definitely agree with you, Nate, though, that so many people have like these, like you, the little things that are so emphasized for a lot of people who are on the spectrum are like so relatable to everybody else. Oh, like sensory and, and yeah, spells and, and yeah. yeah. People that perseverative, perseverative patterns like Kubrick films, all you talk about is Kubrick films. Mm -hmm. You know who Stanley Kubrick was, Alex? Um, you may have to remind me. <laughs> he directed a, a couple of movies, one called 2001 A Space Odyssey, one called The Shining, one called Full Moon oh, okay. Jacket. Barry Lyndon. Okay, I know, I know the work. Okay. Often, <laughs> oftentimes, a lot of directors consider that you know, one of the top five greatest directors that ever lived. But yeah. Be that as it may, I want to say thank you uh, again for coming on board, Alex. Uh, it's, thank you so much. I get, I, I, you know, I, the more I sent, the more I get closer to your orbit, the more that makes my life a lot brighter. I mean, I, I thank cannot, you so much. And very excited to uh, see where this takes, not just for me, but for you. I mean, not just for Vito and everybody else, but to see how this uh how this plays out this is going to be quite a, a fun next four years of our lives um, i really hope so too <laughs> i want to thank nate for coming on board as being our co-host today he, i think he did you know it, it, it just by out coincidentally just happens to be somebody who could speak to this and i think that also helped you know my dumbass do this job a lot better <laughs> Pete, of course, as always, we know and love you, and and we love uh, our, our new. We can say now, Sienna Amora Aliska is. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Congratulations, you. Pete. By the way, thank you very much, Alex, thank, and thank you very much for coming on. This was an absolute pleasure speaking with you. We're really excited to see what you do. You're way ahead of your thank time. You. And you got the right idea on a lot of thank things you. there. So I, I wish you the best of luck. Thank you, and thank you so much. Oh my goodness, Nate. Thank you. You are you. I, I loved also hearing your pr perspective on things too, as somebody, as somebody in the system and the education system, it means a lot. And well, I, you're, you're, you're the, uh, you're, you're, you're the success story. If, if they're a, a parent with a new diagnosis and they could look 15, 20 years down the road and to your achievement, I mean, that, that gives a lot of hope to Thank people. You. So. Thank yeah. you. No, and I appreciate all that you do for, for people like me. Um, and yeah, and thank you so much, Roger, uh, for letting me hang with you guys today. It, uh, I always, I, you guys are the best. Um, and I, 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 I miss you already, Roger. I miss you too. We'll see each other soon. Pete, you want to take us out? Guys, thank you. That was uh, our episode. And uh, thanks for listening. Thank you, Alex. And uh, if you guys have any questions for us, you can reach us at $5buzz at gmail.com. That's F-I-V-E-D-O-L-L-A-R-B-U-Z-Z -Z at gmail.com. Ask us any questions. We'll get back to you. Um, and again, thanks a lot, guys. Have a wonderful day.